Hey, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. And bit of a bit of a downtime for the Heat at the moment right now. So after a win of the Lakers at, against the Lakers that we covered uh, last episode, Miami would get tack on two more wins at home to go on a three-game win streak and then follow it up with a three-game losing streak. Uh, but I attribute a lot of that to it being a four games in five nights situation where one of those games went to triple overtime. <laughs> but um, that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. First, let's go into the recaps for the week. Uh, the quick disclaimer, Kyle Lowry continued to be out uh, due to personal reasons. So Gabe Vincent uh, continued to be the starter. We have yet to see Kyle Lowry on the court since he went out uh, the same game that Bam came back. So, yeah, we're also, again, also with the caveat that for all these games, we still are not at full strength. But first up was a game against the New York Knicks. Not quite sure if you could call it a game. Felt more like an exhibition, really. Uh, just which one's the better team. But technically, we hosted the Knicks uh, last Wednesday. This is a game that we won 110 to 96, where the score really doesn't show how much of a whooping this was. But to illustrate it, Miami scored at about a minute 23 into the game. And then had the lead for the rest of the game. By the end of the first quarter, they're up 30 to 16. By halftime, they're up 59 to 46. And then they got the lead as high as 30 in the third quarter before kind of settling down to just a 25-point lead, 92 to 67, going into the third. Uh, the Knicks in the fourth would get it about as close as 16, and then Miami pushed it back up to 20, and then just kind of cruised to the end where it ended up being a 14-point loss for the Knicks. But, again, just trying to say, like, Miami from start to finish just beat the brakes off of the Knicks, which, you know, for the for the old, for the the old older heads that have been around and know about, like, the Knicks heat rivalry from the 90s, that's sure that's always feels good, even though since then um, these franchises have been on completely divergent pathways. Regardless, for this season, uh, the, we have a three-game uh, season series against the Knicks, Miami, now, this was the first meeting, so Miami's up one nothing. Although, to be honest, this season series might not mean anything for any tiebreakers. The Heat are in position to go for the first seed, whereas the Knicks are way down. Just They're trying to scrape with the Hawks to get into the play-in tournament. Like The tiebreaker's not going to matter, so at this point, it's just for pride, which, considering it's Heat's Knicks, and there's the, uh, the bad blood there, pride's going to mean something. But really, like, this game, looking at it, it's kind of hard to have any major takeaways from this because it was a dominating performance on both ends. Like, Miami had scored 92 points in three corners. That's a great offensive performance. While also limiting the Knicks to 67 points through three quarters, that's a great defensive performance. And then most of the fourth quarter was kind of garbage time. So there's kind of, like, it was just a dominating performance on both ends. That's why I said it's kind of hard to have really any major takeaways. I will say, though, uh, Duncan Robinson had a big game, so still got to give him some credit. So team high, 25 points, two rebounds, one assist on 9 of 13 from the field, and just scorching hot, 7 of 11 from three. So anytime Robinson has a really great shooting game like that, kind of odd that it's usually like with the Heat blowing another team out. Along with Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler had a really efficient game to the point of, of worth mentioning. 22 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. So not not the biggest point total that we've seen before, but the efficiency is what stood out. 7 of 8 from the field, 
Oh, of one from three, but we don't we don't expect Jimmy to make threes. Eight and nine from the free throw line. So just really efficient game by Butler uh, from a scoring perspective. And then uh, lastly, really great center play in terms of on the defensive end, both Bam who finished with a ninety nine defensive rating and Deadman the heart of the center finished with eighty nine. We're just crushing it on defense. That's about it for this one. After this last Friday, the uh, Miami Heat hosted the Clippers which was a Clippers team that had, had been coming off a streak of having comeback performances. I want to say they had one uh, that was like a 35-point comeback. I think it's the Wizards. Regardless, this is a team that you kind of knew, like, they're going to come in. You might be able to beat them down for three quarters, but unlike the Knicks, they can actually make a run at you in the fourth to try to win the game, which is pretty much what happened. This would also kick off a four games in five night stretch for Miami. So uh, back to back, one night off, back to back. Really, really rough from a scheduling perspective. Um, but the, for this game, like I said, the Clippers been known for comebacks. This is a game that Miami still ended up winning 121 to 114. And for what it's worth, this ties Miami one to one with the Clippers because we had dropped a game to them uh, November. Somewhere during that that first uh, West road trip, but to go through the recap real quick, Miami was up twenty eight to nineteen by the end of the first quarter behind Jimmy Butler dropping ten points. In the second quarter, the Clippers were able to try to mount a little bit of a comeback. The lead shrunk to six a few times, but Miami closed out well, and by halftime they had outscored the Clippers in that quarter as well, and were up fifty seven to forty five at halftime. The third quarter, Clippers came out shooting really well. They dropped 35 points in the third quarter, but Miami still outscored them, dropping 39, mainly behind uh, Gabe Vincent, who shot 6 of 8 from 3 in the quarter for 18 points. Miami had a lead as high as 23 before it settled down to just being up 16, up 96 to 80 going into the fourth. So for three quarters, Miami had outscored them and just had that, kept building up that lead. And then the fourth quarter that we all feared came to reality. Uh, fourth quarter, they were still up 16 with eight minutes left. They'd already gotten through a third of that quarter. And then the Clippers won on a 27-15 to 15 run from there, in large part because of self-inflicted wounds by Miami. They had 18 turnovers on the game, but eight of those turnovers came in the fourth. And this what really helped keep the Clippers back in this and get Miami's lead down to as little as four before Jimmy Butler closed out the game at the free throw line. Heat win 121 to 114. And as far as takeaways from this game, Jimmy Butler has to be it yet again. 26 points, six rebounds, nine assists, three steals, one block. Not his most efficient shooting night after the Knicks previously. Five of 12 from the field. 0-1 from 3 again, so interesting to see that he's at least trying to get some attempts up. But where he made his damage, 16 of 16 at the free throw line. Four of those were in the closing uh, minute or so for Miami to help seal that win. But we're kind of used to this by now. Like, all the changes to the league rules, and as much as everybody complains, Jimmy Butler still gets to the line. Jimmy Butler still knocks down his free throws. Outside of Butler, though, P.J. Tucker had a pretty pretty good game as well. Um, just been filling in great. 18 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, on an efficient 6 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, so was able to get there. It was a team-high plus 20 in large part, again, because of just the tremendous defense that P.J. Tucker always plays. And then last major takeaway for this one, Miami shot 
pretty efficiently from three. 15 to 34 from three, good for 44%. Uh, big part of that, Duncan Robinson continuing some good shooting, four or seven from three. Uh, Gabe Vincent, seven of 12. I mentioned the six of eight that he did in the third to help Miami outscore the Clippers then. And then, of course, P.J. Tucker, two of four. So one of those nights where they, they didn't get to that goal of 40, which I still think may be a little bit high considering they play Butler and Bam. But, you know, the efficiency was there. They they made almost half of their shots. And uh, the most important thing, the Heat put a W in the win column. So after the Clippers game on Friday, the Heat had a back-to-back where they would finish off their homestand hosting the Toronto Raptors on Saturday, which is a game that they lost 120 to 124 in triple overtime. It's a long-ass game. It was like, like if anybody's seen Rick and Morty, there was a character that essentially got frozen in time and saw time pass uh, through eons and became a time guy by the end of this process. It's kind of how I felt at the end of that game. Back to reality, though. Uh, so the first quarter of this game was a pretty good back and forth. Did see Miami down 27-28, to mainly being propped alive, again, by Jimmy Butler having a double-digit first quarter, had 11 points this time. In the second quarter, the deficit would get about as high as 15, and then Jimmy Butler took over down the stretch, 13 points in the second quarter, so he's at 24 by halftime, and the Heat were only down 53-59 to at halftime. Again, from being down as much as 15 to only being down 6, much it's a great improvement, and it has you momentum going into the second half. In the third quarter, they got the Heat got up to 2 really early, but then fell back down as much as 16 before eventually settling in, being down 75, 85, going into the fourth. So still down 10, um, but hopefully trying to, again, build a little bit of momentum to get back up there because, you know, you just had the lead not too long ago. The fourth quarter, though, Miami absolutely suffocated the Raptors' offense. They only scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. Miami scored 25, well, before I get to the 15, actually, at the time they'd only scored 13, Miami was up 198 before with two seconds left. Scotty Barnes got a foul off Tyler Hero, shot some free throws to tie it up. I won't go into all the specifics of triple overtime because that, that would just take way too long for it. But essentially there there was like the first overtime period was a lot of missed shots. Both teams only scored five points. The second overtime was... The teams are shooting a little bit more. They both, but they both only scored nine, so they were still tied again to go into into triple. There was missed shots by Tyler Hero. There was one of the overtime. The second one ended with Spo calling a timeout before what would have been a Gabe Vincent buzzer beating three, uh, like almost Dwayne Wade esque. But say it all, the unfortunate thing was in the third overtime, the Raptors were able to just pull away. Both teams were just completely exhausted at this point, and it ended up being um, a Toronto win, 124-120. to As for uh, major takeaways from this game, as I kind of alluded to with his performance in the first half, Jimmy Butler, absolutely amazing triple-double performance here. 37 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks on 14 of 25 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, so interesting volume, um, but at least he got 1, 8-11 from the free throw line, and a team high 52 minutes. He was the only person on Miami to play 50 plus minutes. There were still the other 4 players that played all the overtime with him, they got to 40 plus minutes, but Jimmy was the only one that hit 50. Meanwhile, 
all five of the Raptors starters who played most of the game and then all the overtime, they were in 50-plus minutes. So just trying to, again, illustrate this idea of, like, these teams were exhausted by the end of the third overtime. But outside of Jimmy Butler, uh, no one else really stepped up for Miami. There was nobody else that scored, that got 20-plus points. Not Tyler Hero, Bam, Vincent, Struz, Robinson, none of them. Uh, Hero especially seemed off 5 of 22 from the field, including 3 of 14 from 3. Didn't even get to the free throw line to try to shoot free throws at all. And there was some times, like especially in the overtime, where he, you know he has these looks that he's had before that have just been automatic, and they're just clanking. And he, even like his body language or like if he relips or whatever, you can kind of tell. He's just like, oh, I don't got it tonight. Um I, I hope this doesn't mean that he's in a bit of a shooting slump. It, it looks like it, he might be based off of the lackluster performances in the other games, but that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But, yeah, it was, just, it was very noticeable that Tyler Hero did not have his usual shot making because if he did, this is a Miami win, like, easily. J- just give him the shot, his usual shot making in any of those situations down the stretch, Miami wins that game. Um, outside of that, he had a very bad just three-point shooting night in part because of Hero, but they went 16 of 50 from three, which doesn't sound too bad, but that's 32%. Gabe Vincent, solid 5 of 12. Struess, 3 of 5. Robinson, though, 0 of 5, so he had a bit of a bad night. Um, some of the violent swings from having like really good shooting nights to having really bad nights can make it a bit tricky with Robinson. But credit to the Raptors, though. I mean, they played... They yeah played five players fifty plus minutes to win that game. It, they're a good team. They really are. Got to give them their credit for that. Uh, moving on though, Miami would then start their last major road trip of the season, a six game road trip, starting with the Boston at Boston Celtics on Monday. So a few hours before the game on Monday, it was announced that PJ Tucker and Jimmy Butler would be sitting for that game. Butler because of a tweaked ankle. Uh, Tucker, I believe, because of knee. They would be back for the following game. Uh, so it almost seemed maybe it was a bit more of like scheduled rest because you kind of imagine those are two of your older players and they played, again, a triple overtime game after holding off a Clippers comeback the night before. So probably going to get them some rest uh, before another game against the Toronto Raptors afterwards. But anyway, like I said, um, Tucker Butler not in this game, so we kind of followed upon... Bam, and the rest to try to get it done. They could not. They lost this game. It was an absolute blowout, 92-122. to So this puts Miami down 0-2 to the Boston Celtics in a best-of-three series. So kind of like what we've seen with the Cavs already, the Celtics would own the tiebreaker should they be tied with the Heat. And while they're not in the same tier as the Cavs, the Celtics are like in the tier right below. So there is a fringe possibility that that tiebreaker could matter later on. Hopefully Miami just takes care of their business and secures the first team. I mean, they definitely didn't take care of business this game. So Miami never even led this game at all. They got outscored 14-27 to in the first quarter. Which, the, the interesting thing here, though, is despite that, despite being down 13 going into the second, they were able to tie the game at 32 halfway through the second quarter. That's pretty much about the end of the good news. They collapsed afterwards, 13 to 22, the rest of the quarter, to be down nine, 45 to 54 at halftime. Then when the second half started, Heat never even got any closer. Got absolutely crushed 
in the third quarter down 70 to 94 going into the fourth. And it just didn't even stop there. It just kept going until the Heat were down 30. And then they just kind of limped around that 30-point deficit until the end of the game. So just, yeah, wire to wire, absolute beatdown. It's kind of the opposite of that situation with the Knicks. We're like, with that Knicks game, we won so dominantly, there wasn't a ton of takeaways you could take away here. This one, I mean, outside of health, like, man, it would have been nice to have three of our starters, P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, and Kyle Lowry for this game. Maybe they could have made a difference. But with the reality of what, outside of that, the reality of what we have is there's not much to take away from a beatdown like this. Um, Max Struess had a good game. <laughs> 27 points, three rebounds, two assists. 9-19 from the field in a career-high 9 made threes out of 17 attempts. So, good one for Max Struess and his agent when they need to go to the negotiating table. Outside of that, no one else on the team even had 20 points. And the, the one takeaway from here, though, is Bam was especially passive in a game that you were, again, you're without your best player in Jimmy Butler. Bam's supposed to be your second-best player, and he is usually the one that defers more so to Butler because he respects that hierarchy. But the expectation is that if Butler's not there, the Bam needs to take over. And he did not take over in this situation. 12 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 of 11 from the field, 2 of 3 from the free throw line. And a lot of people talking afterwards wondering what's going on with Bam Adebayo. Uh, We'd have a bit of a bounce back the following game, which is good. So the next game was the last one that we'll cover for this one at the Toronto Raptors Tuesday. So this is the fourth game that they've had in five days playing the same team twice. They've already had the Clippers come back. They've already had the triple overtime. Then they had an absolute beatdown at the Celtics. And now they're coming in against this Toronto Raptors team again. And yeah, probably you already know they lost 106-110. They would have... Um, Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker back at least. However, it was not enough. And this does put Miami in a best-of-four series against the Toronto Raptors. It puts them down 1-2. to two. So Miami needs to win that last game to, to make it a tiebreaker because, like with the Celtics, there is a fringe chance of the Raptors who are in that tier with the Celtics, like right below where the Heat are. If they were to go on like a really big run or Miami would have slipped, that the tiebreakers could matter. Going through the recap real quick. And Miami had a really strong first quarter, mainly behind Bam Adebayo, who came out aggressive from the start, had Miami up 32-22. to 22. Uh, Bam just kept it going in the second quarter, st- dropped another 10 points. He had 19 points by halftime. Heat were up 62-50 to 50 at halftime. However, when the third quarter came around, the third quarter reared its ugly head, particularly on the offensive end. Meanwhile, Fred Van Vliet started getting going for the Raptors and where it was, was able to cut Miami's lead from being up 12 to only being up 3, 83 to 80 going into the fourth. And then the Heat, they lost the lead early in that fourth quarter. Uh, just the Raptors kept riding at momentum. They pushed the deficit as high as 8. And then Miami was actually almost able to claw back and win the game. They were only down 2 before a Raptors uh, OG Nunnabai, uh, what was it, like a dunk or something? like I don't even remember. I just want to blot it out of my damn head. But... Uh, scored, put it just out of reach for Miami, and lost. 
So major takeaways from this game, one one that shines out the most, Bam Adebayo. After a game where he was criticized for not being aggressive, he came out against his Raptors team last night and definitely was. 32 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 1 block on 13-17 from the field. 0-1 from 3, so he took a 3-pointer, although it was a latent shot clock kind of situation. Somebody had to chuck up a shot, and he just decided that this was going to be the time he was going to take his second three-point attempt of the season. But um, outside of that, 6-7 from the free-throw line. Yeah, 19 points in the first half, so really aggressive and really powered Miami early on. Uh, And, yeah, this is one of those games where you just walk away and just have to wonder, like, come on, just just do this kind of stuff every time, man. We, We keep seeing flashes of it. It, there's just not any consistency to those flashing, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Jimmy Butler was the other one of the other big takeaways, and you know he had that one game. So how did he look after coming having that game off? Is his ankle still fine? All that still looks pretty good. Uh, played more of a playmaker role since Bam was trying to be more so the aggressor. But Jimmy Butler, 16 points, eight rebounds, 12 assists, so double double. Not not a very good shooting night for him though. Three of ten from the field. 0 of 3 from 3 points, but 10 of 10 from the line. So Jimmy always can get to the line at least and manufacture some offense there. Uh, yeah, And lastly, just Miami for this game particularly shot really bad. Their worst one of this week. 8 of 30 from 3, which is good for 27%. Um, the best ones that they had shooting, Max Struess, 3 of 7. Tyler Hero had a, a bit more of a bounce back, better shooting game. 2 of 5, but... You know, low volume, and Duncan Robinson one of five, so not not a very good one to start out the February, unfortunately. Which yeah, I kind of want to get done saying all that. It does seem bad, but really within the scope of the season, this is only the second three game losing streak that they had. The first one was way back, also on a road trip uh, when they were at the first Western road trip at the beginning of November. So really, if the low points of our seasons are a three-game losing streak that can't comes as a partially as a result of bad shooting, and you know four games and five nights with the first two of those games being particularly draining with a triple overtime. Like you can just you can stack things up that were against Miami and essentially kind of argue schedule loss. Oh yeah, let's not forget health as well. But overall, it's a two. It was a two or three week. Miami does slip out of the first, but. Overall, I'm not surprised that they hit a rough patch here. And I'll expect they'll be fine going forward. So usually after the recaps, I like to survey and just kind of see how the team's doing in the given moment. And sometimes there's, you know, kind of big overarching stories. And then sometimes like this week, I feel like there's just a few kind of interconnected but ISOed stories to kind of go over. Uh, first of which, as has been usual for the Miami Heat since the be- well since November, really, actually since the start of the season, <laughs> injury watch. Uh, Kyle Lowry is unfortunately still outlisted for personal reasons. There's been no new information on that. And as I've always said, you give him the benefit of the doubt. Kyle Lowry is a professional. So if he says it's personal, it's to the point that he can't play, then you, you wish him the best and just hope that whatever happens, he can get through it, process it. Um, and when he's ready, can make a return to the court, as I'm sure anyone on that team would tell you he's missed. Uh, outside of Lowry, um, Omir Yurtseven entered the health and safety protocol Sunday for COVID. Not that he, with the return of Dwayne Deadman and Bam Adebayo, Yurtseven has pretty much has seen all his minutes evaporate. 
it's kind of understandable, but it's more so just to say that we don't have that that breaking class in case of emergency if something goes wrong with the center position. Uh, Markeith Morris still out for conditioning, and Oladipo is still out without any sort of timetable for return. But wanted to return to the Kyle Lowry absence real quick because I do think it is of note to mention how Gabe Vincent has stepped in to fill in that starting point goal role for the last nine games. Which, as a reminder, before um, Lowry left for personal reasons, Gabe Vincent in the Sixers game beforehand did not play at all. It pretty much like we walked away from that Sixers game thinking had Gabe Vincent just been squeezed out of the rotation just because there just wasn't room for him. And now he's, you know, starting for the last nine games. So over those last nine games, just to say it real quick, 12.4 points, 2.1 rebounds, five assists, shooting 4.4 out of 11 from the field, which is good for 40%, 2.9 out of 7 from three, which is good for 41%, and 0.7 out of point. He doesn't get to the line very often for free throws, which is good for 86%. So shooting splits of 40%, 41%, 86%. Uh, He's not that great once you get within the arc, obviously, but he does a pretty damn good job spacing the floor at 41%. And really, I think Gabe Vincent has done a phenomenal job in being like an almost ideal backup point guard, and that he's almost more like a combo guard. So like he, he has that point guard ability where he can get teams into sets, he can set up others, or he could pass the ball off to somebody like a Jimmy Butler or a Bam Adebayo, and then work off ball instead, kind of like a shooting guard. So... In that regards, like I'm very, very impressed with what Vincent has done, kind of bring that combo guard mentality in there. And then, of course, we already know Gabe Vincent plays great defense. He'll pick, he'll pick uh, up opposing players full court, and will switch as well. Sometimes even switching on the bigs, although that's not obviously the most ideal matchup. But just to say that he does sometimes have that ability. But the two way play really stands out with Gabe Vincent. Uh, overall, as the starting point guard, he's done a serviceable job. Miami's 5-4. and four. Like Think about times when we've been missing Bam or missing Butler as well, and we just say, hey, if we can go 500 or better, that's happy. Since we've been missing Kyle Lowry, we've got a little bit over 500 in large part uh, due to Gabe Vincent, which is not to say, though, that we're not starting to miss Kyle Lowry, especially when it comes to turnovers. Miami's become a bit more turnover-prone lately in some part to Gabe Vincent. Um, unfortunately, Kyle Lowry is better in terms of assisted turnovers the, at about 2.7 for Lowry versus 2.1 for Vincent. So in that regards, like that, that next step playmaking from Lowry is what we're missing, which, yeah, you can't expect that from Gabe Vincent because he's Gabe Vincent, not Kyle Lowry. Uh, I say all that, though, still, he's done a good job. And to me, one of the questions I have going forward is what is going to do between Gabe Vincent and Victor Oladipo as kind of that backup guard. Because there's only so much room in Miami's regular season rotation for him to figure that out before we get to the playoffs. Honestly, at this point, it can go either way. It, it really all depends upon how Victor Oladipo looks. Like if Victor Oladipo comes back and he's playing at an, like an all-star label, like the ceiling of this, then really sorry, Gabe Vincent, but Oladipo would just be a better player in that regard. Or if it's the flip side where Depot comes back and he, he doesn't look very good at all, then, yeah, you go with, you go with Gabe Vincent because Gabe Vincent is solid. Like, not quite high ceiling, but pretty high floor relative, whereas the, the variability for Oladipo just, just feels so much more. 
pivoting away from Gabe Vincent now to Duncan Robinson, whose three-point shooter has been steadily climbing up throughout the season. So we think back um, to, like, October, right? So the few games in October, he was shooting 32.1% on 8.8 attempts per game. Very not good. Ice cold compared to what he's done before. In November, it got just a little bit better, 33.1% on 9.3 attempts, which a lot of those games, as I recall, were just games where you could very clearly see Robinson trying to shoot himself out of this slump. It started to crack, especially once we get to December. December, he shot 37.6% on 7.8 attempts. So the attempts went way down, but the efficiency started to come up. Kind of, you know, he pretty much had burst out of it at that point, and then he was able to just focus on taking good shots within uh, the rhythm of the offense. And now with January um, finished up, 41.1% on 8.2 attempts per game. So, by Robinson's standards, January, he's back. The kicker comes with games that have, like, really high variabilities. Like, he had a, like look at this last week. He had a 7, from 11 game, 7 of 11 game and an 0 of 5 game as well. So, some of it can be a little bit feast or famine. But over the course of the season, like, he's shooting extremely well, and it just keeps trending up. Part of that, I do think, is because of having Bam at a bio back. So, like, the two-man game between Bam and Duncan is legit. Like, you watch it for a game and you can see it. And Bam Adebayo is getting, you know, one of his assists per game off of Duncan Robinson. Or, or to rephrase that, Duncan is getting one of his threes per game from a Bam Adebayo assist. So, having him back helps. But I attribute most of it, honestly, just to, just to breaking out of the slump. We Again, looking back over the course of the season, you can see it pretty clearly how he was slumping in October, November, kept shooting until he busted out of it, and then started to increase December, January. I also think one of the things that helped him was right around December when Max Struess really kind of stepped up to be that other sniper on the team, just because maybe it helped to, to lessen some of the mental burden on Duncan Robinson. Like, dude, you don't have to have an amazing night every single night. Like, if you go out there and you do, like, one of five, Spo's just going to take your minutes. Like, you already got paid. You don't need to worry about getting paid. So you're just going to chill on the bench and try to get your head right. We'll plug in Max Struess. He'll he'll go be our other volume sniper. Or if you have nights where he's killing it, leave Duncan Robinson in. Let him go for seven for 11. Like, that's great. So I think having that backup with Struess could, could help Duncan just from a mentality standpoint because he doesn't have to feel like the weight of the three-point shooting volume is strictly on his shoulders. Regardless, he's been increasing every month, uh, again, through December, through January. And, yeah, the regression to the mean is very nice to see, and I would not be surprised if it gets even better through February, March as the Heat get more rested and more at home. But to pivot one more time from Duncan Robinson, mention him a little bit, Bam Adebayo. And specifically his aggression since he's been getting since he got back from the thumb surgery injury. So in the nine games, Bam Adebayo has been back, which again is coincides perfectly with when Lowry ran out. So he's not played with Kyle Lowry since November. Bam Adebayo, 17 points, 9.6 rebounds, 4.3 assists on 6.4 out of 12 from the field, good for 54%. One missed three-point attempt. 
and 4.1 out of 5.2 free throws per game. It's good for 79%. I would, he, the conditioning was still great. The injury was to his hand, so he was able to keep up with that. His defense, absolutely crushing. It is only the question of his ability on the offensive end. And that's why, And for that, it's dependent upon how aggressive he is, which is why I preface this part with talking about Bam's aggression. So we have seen, since he's gotten back, some times where like he'll do some takeover ability. Like when we think back to the Portland Tra- Portland Trailblazers game, where Bam completely took over down the stretch. It was like ten points and bone crushing defense on both end uh, on the defensive end to secure that win. And then we just saw it with the Raptors game last night. Like this dude can take over. Like if you feed him and he has that right mentality, he can go out and it almost looks like he can get twenty easy every night. But the 17 points that he's been averaging is about in line with where he's been from last year to this year, which brings us to the other point, in that I feel with Bam Adebayo, we've been almost stuck in the same spot for about a year now, where we came out of the 2020 finals, the bubble run, and one of the things that really stood out to me was Bam Adebayo is the decider about whether or not Miami really wins a championship. If he can take that step to an all NBA level. Like he showed up against the Bucks and helped contain Giannis. And then he was critical to getting past the Celtics at the finals. And then against the Lakers, he goes down and it's no shocker that when he goes down, Anthony Davis goes off and that series gets out of hand. So, after that, we saw um, in the follow-up season, the 2020 to 21 season, we saw Bam start to become a little bit more aggressive, but it still looked like he had to be coaxed into it. And that is where I feel we've been stuck for the last year, where we look at Bam and go, all right, call him, man, just be aggressive, go for it every night, you can do this. And sometimes he does, sometimes he has games like the Celtics uh, Monday, where everything's set up for him to go out there and succeed and to just grab that game by the balls, and he just doesn't do it, and it ends up in a brutal Miami loss, and then he comes out and does it the next night, and it's like, Great. It is, it is glad to see that you can recognize that you weren't aggressive one night and then you come out and do it the next night. We've seen that before. The problem is that next step to doing it every single night. I've said this before as well. For me, like the, the floor with, with Bam Adebayo is, looks great. It pretty much kind of looks like a Draymond Green type player in the sense of defensive player of the year on one end being able to be a playmaker slash kind of scorer on the other, although not a primary scorer, obviously. Um, that's still a really good max-level player, well worth that. The question then becomes, does he end up more like Draymond Green or Nikola Jokic? Which, the difference there lies in the aggression. So, Nikola Jokic was a tremendous playmaker for a number of years, and then teams figured out, essentially, guard his teammates, force Jokic to be a scorer, that's the best way to beat him. And they did that because it worked. And the only reason why it changed and how Nikola Jokic took the next step from like all-star, all-NBA to now MVP of the league was stepping up his aggression as a scorer and saying, okay, if you're going to make me a scorer, I'm going to hurt you even more that way and force you back into double teams, which will then get my teammates open. That's the part where Bam needs to take that step. 
I don't think he needs to do it in the same way that Jokic does because Jokic just has like he's a little bit taller. He has better, a little bit better touch, a little more playing experience than Bam Adebayo. But that that mentality of I'm going if you're if you're going to relax off me, I'm going to score off you and force you to respect me as that. With Bam, where I think like if at first I used to think that he needed to be more aggressive in terms of taking threes. I, I do still think that at least one a game. Like the one of the things that stood up about that Raptors game, Persis Achua made as many threes in that game as Bam has attempted threes in the season. That no, nah, like like very clearly the Raptors have empowered Achua to shoot and he has lived up to it. I have no doubts that Eric Spolstra has empowered Bam to take that three point shot whenever he wants. Bam just needs to start taking it. But aside from from that, where I think he the he really needs to start showing more aggression is in drives. Specifically, if he can get a defensive rebound and he has a he can take it on a fast break, take it. Like I since he's gotten back, I've noticed that he can at times do almost Giannis like t- moves to the rim in the sense of like he doesn't have the reach that Giannis does. He doesn't have, you know, uh, stretch Armstrong limbs or anything like that. But that kind of quick burst, get by you, and then just enough length to then finish over that. Those facets of Giannis's game is where I, I see an opportunity for Bam to kind of grow. I think he can do it. Like, the nickname for him is still No Ceiling. It, again, it always boils down to the question of can he develop that mentality? He has a really good mentor in Jimmy Butler and how to develop that mentality. So if he can pick up some of that, then we're talking about Bam Adebayo as an all-NBA type player and how many championships Miami is going to win now. So with that rant out of the way, let's take a look at the standings real quick and then we'll look ahead. Uh, so the East standings, I've, I've changed the way that I've done this just to make it pretty much everything is going to be relative to where the Heat is because that's the team we care about. So currently first in the East, these, this um, team is one game ahead of the Heat right now. The Chicago Bulls, uh, they took a, they were able to rack up a few wins. Miami, obviously, we had the three-game losing streak. I mean, it's fine. Two through five, which is everything from where the Heat are right now, like tied to where the Heat are, to half a game back of the Heat, are the Sixers, Heat, Cavs, Bucks. Again, just trying to show, like, all these teams are right on top of each other, and it's really going to come down to who has who can be healthy and probably who has a really home-heavy schedule for the rest of the season, like the Miami Heat. Um, interestingly enough, sixth place, two games back of where the Heat are right now, are the Brooklyn Nets, who are starting to drift away from this pack. Understandable, given the injury to Durant and just some of the discourse that's currently surrounding uh, Irving and Harden and all that. And it seems like a rough situation. Uh, I still wouldn't be surprised to see the Nets pop back in by the end of the season once once they start getting healthy. But for now, they're starting to drift away, and there's grounds that they need to catch up on. Then 7th uh, through ninth seed, these are teams that are 3.5 to 5 games back of where the Heat are. So we're talking about right about the edge of where we would realistically have to worry about things like tiebreakers in the sort for the season. These teams are the Charlotte Hornets, Toronto Raptors, and Boston Celtics, two of the teams we saw this week. So, yeah, the losses there help to kind of bring them closer to Miami. 
And then at the far end, probably don't have to worry about them, but just worth mentioning because I, I think it's fun. Uh, the 10th and 11th seed, these are teams that are 7 to 7.5 games back of the Heat would be like almost mathematic. Like if You get into the realm of super small mathematical probabilities at that point. The Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks fighting for that last play-in spot. So, yeah, uh, a drop for the Heat, but first is still well within reach and still possible for the Heat to not only get that, but to get separation down the stretch. For now, though, and for the upcoming week, the Miami will still be in the middle of their last major road trip. The Celtics-Raptors part is actually the worst part. Uh, We'll get into the games that we have for, for the next three but yeah, that back-to-back was the roughest part for, for this road trip. It's pretty favorable, I think, the rest of the way. We have these next three games against the Spurs, Hornets, and Wizards. And then we finish up at the Pelicans. But that'll be we'll preview that next week. So first up, we'll be at the Spurs on Thursday. So we get a day off that of rest. That's great. Uh, this is the one that had to be rescheduled that we missed at the end of November. Uh, but this Spurs team, they're 19-33 and 33 currently, which is good for 12th in the West. We have not played them at all, and since they're a West team, they're just the best of two series. Don't need to worry too much about it. For the Spurs, this will be their second game of a homestand. Uh, They lost to the Warriors yesterday, so they also have today off, so no real difference in terms of rest, although Miami is still having to recover from that four games and five nights. Uh, The key injury for them is potentially their big man, Jakob Pertl. He left the game last night with a head injury and is listed as day-to-day. Obviously, hopefully he's fine, but... He is key for them as he's their best rim protector. So uh, for def- like defensive end for Miami this game, try to slow the pace down. The Miami likes to run at a slow pace anyway, but this San Antonio team likes to get out and work at a high pace. Fifth fastest pace in the league specifically. So slow that down. Um, don't, don't let them get out and transition on you. Uh, and then try to force them a lot into just mid-range and threes because they don't shoot them at great percentages. Oh, yeah, and then, you know, guard um, DeJounte Murray, who's their, like, almost all-star level player. But nothing like, – they're, they're a – the Spurs are a bunch of really great role players that do not have a star to surround themselves. So, so long as you treat them as such and make sure you come at them respectfully, then, yeah, I don't think they're terribly hard to defend. And then on the offensive end for Miami, if Pirtle's not in, attack the rim. Like – when, when a team is missing their best rim protector, you exploit that weakness. And with Bam and Jimmy, Miami can exploit that. But if Pirtle is there, then just try to crack, like pull him in and make him contest shots and then crash the offensive glass. The Spurs are 27th in defensive rebounding percentage, which conversely means they give up a lot of offensive rebounds to their opponent. Take advantage of that. Overall, though, I feel pretty confident that this is a Miami win, that they can bounce back and stop that three-game skid against the San Antonio Spurs. After the Spurs, the Heat will be at the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday. This is a Hornets team that's 28-23, and 23, which puts them at 7th in the East, just, just trying to get out of that playing range. The, um, currently, the Heat are up 1-0 on them in a best-of-four series, so we have three more games against them to close out this year. But, uh, yeah, Heat currently up, and that is also one that could make a difference for Miami in terms of tiebreakers, but also to keep the Hornets in that lower tier away from Miami. For the Hornets, so this is their also their second game in a homestand, but they will have played a back-to-back against the Cleveland Cavaliers Friday night. So, though Miami is coming in on the road with all that, 
they will have a rest advantage over the Hornets that I feel confident that they can take advantage of. At the time, um, Gordon Hayward for the Hornets has cleared health and safety protocols, but he has not officially rejoined. I would imagine, though, if he's cleared it already, then he'll be there by Saturday. Probably, I would imagine, Friday night for the Cavs game. Um, for the defensive end for Miami, guard LaMelo Ball. I, that, seriously, limit his playmaking, keep him out of transition, d- put your game plan all around keeping that dude down. And kind of like with the Spurs, limit pace. The Spurs were the fifth fastest team in the league. The Hornets are the second fastest team in the league. So do everything you can just to slow that game down. Don't let them get out and run. And then on the offensive end for Miami, well, the Hornets have a, while they have a top 10 offense, they have a bottom 10 defense, 26 in defensive rating. So, yeah, like there's holes all over for the defense. Um, just make sure you take your time to find some quality shots and take advantage of a, a young team that primarily likes to get out and run and grind them down. Because of the rest advantage, um, and then just because stylistically I feel Miami can dictate the pace of that game, I feel pretty confident that this one will also be a Miami win. And then to finish up the week, the Heat will be at the Washington Wizards next Monday. This is a Wizards team that started out 10-3 and and has now fallen to 23-27, and 12th in the East. They're not even like in regards for the play-in tournament at, at this point. Like that's how far down they have fallen. Um, the Miami does have a 2-1 series season series lead over them and a best of four because we're in the same division. However, at this point, it, it's not going to matter. Like the Wizards, I, I mean, outside of divisional record, it's not really going to matter. Um, this, oh, like the Spurs and Hornets, is also the second game of a homestand for the Washington Wizards. They'll have last played on Saturday, so they had the same amount of rest as the Heat. And Bradley Beal, their star player, is already listed out. He um, is supposed to be evaluated sometime mid-next week in regards to a wrist injury. So definitely not going to be playing next Monday, which hurts them a lot because that's their best player. They were a bottom 10 uh, for, the, uh, for the defensive for Miami. It's not much. Like The Wizards were a bottom 10 offense with Bradley Beal. So without him, it's kind of like we saw with like, the Clippers. Like... So long as you don't fall into the trap of playing a really bad team and not taking them seriously, there's not really that much that they can do. Um, force them to shoot threes, I guess, would be about the best thing that I can say. They are 28th in three-point percentage, so Miami does a good job already of funneling teams with their defense into, into bad three-point shooters taking shots. So just lean into that aspect of your defense, and you can really take advantage of the Wizards. And then for the offensive and for Miami... The Wizards are a bottom 10 defense, but the only thing they really do well on the defensive end is they limit three-point attempts. They are first in opponent three-point attempts per game, so get inside with Bam and Jimmy and just crush them up inside. This one, like, really, I think is the easiest win. Watch The Wizards look like a team that are just almost begging for that knockout punch right before the trade deadline, so then they can just strip this thing down to parts and start working on a rebuild. So I think Miami can give them that last little push over the edge. Which, yeah, if my predictions are right, that means Miami follows up a three-game losing streak 
with a three-game winning streak, and boom, we're right back in this thing, no worries. But that'll be all for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow the pod at Heaters Heating on Twitter, or myself at KBR Heat Nation on Twitter. Trying to be more active on there. Uh, Also, be sure to check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball on Twitter, or OTGBasketball.com. I'll be back next week, so until then, stay heating and have a good one, Heat Nation.